Well, hey, Mercy family, I want to talk for a quick second about um, reopening Mercy Church and what it means for us. You can find our full reopening plan on our website. Uh, Just like we approach everything else that we do, we always want to ask the question, and we're asking the question now, uh, what should we do in light of our mission? What would be the next best thing for us to do in order to accomplish the mission God has put us on here in Charlotte to make disciples who love God, love each other, and love our world? I think as you look at our plan, you're going to see that's what's driving our decisions. The next step for us, we believe, that's best for us is not returning immediately to our facility. We intend to get there, but right now, we think we have a pretty great opportunity that's going to be a little more effective for us in accomplishing that mission. In the coming weeks, as gatherings restrictions really start to ease in our community, uh, you're going to see in our reopening plan something in what we're calling phase two, much like our, um, the state of North Carolina is calling phase two. We're going to introduce something that we call watch parties. And here's the idea. While we can't all come back to the building right now, that doesn't mean we all have to be isolated into our homes like we were in phase one. Uh, And so a watch party is really pretty simple and kind of self-descriptive, self-explanatory. It's a group of people that are going to gather together in somebody's home on Sunday morning to watch the service and then hopefully discuss it and have a meal together. All right. This, our hope is this is kind of a low pressure step right? Uh, A low pressure step designed to kind of first and foremost to help one another. Let's kind of lock arms together and emerge out of this isolation that we've been in. And that's going to be kind of a harder thing to do than than maybe we realize. Uh, But it's also a great, uh, we believe, opportunity for us to invite friends, maybe the friends that we've been inviting to watch online, maybe the friends, neighbors, etc. People that it actually might take them a long time to come to a church building for a worship service they might be a lot more inclined to come to your house and watch something on TV with you because that's something they've done before. That's a familiar activity to people who are unfamiliar with church. And so we think we've got a great opportunity here for that, a great way to be the church in our community. So maybe, maybe it's just you hosting a watch party with a friend. Uh, and, and that's great, just with one friend. Maybe you need to be one, and as you pray over this, and I'm going to ask you to pray, maybe you're going to be somebody that's going to open up your home uh, for anybody that might need a watch party, and, and our connection team is going to help fill some seats in your home. Uh, either way, it's going to be a great chance to connect as a body. So if you're willing to host some people in your home, we've, got, we've prepared a little bit of a training just to kind of help with logistics and understanding more about what we're talking about. So if you're going to host If you're up for it, if you pray through it and say, yeah, I'm going to raise my hand and say, I'm willing to host a watch party. We've got some resources to to make that happen, right? We want to know where the Mercy family is gathering throughout the city so that we can help you out. So you go to our our website. There's a little brief form that you can fill out um, that says, yeah, I want to host a watch party. Or if you're someone that's going, you know, I don't really know anybody yet, but man, I have been I've been watching this thing alone for weeks and weeks and weeks, and I'm ready for some humans, right, that I can join in this thing. Then you let us know on the website, and we'll connect you to one of these watch parties uh, if you don't have anybody, right? We want to begin together, lock arms together, and start to worship together, just at least a small taste of uh, what we hope to see in the day, in the weeks to come, all right? That's watch parties. Uh, I want you to know we're going to continue to stream our services, so you can continue to watch on your own. Um, each person, each family, Family's going to have to go at their own pace, of course, but over time, we just want to help one another emerge from this thing together. And this is just a next step 
that we can walk in together so that we are not walking in a spirit of fear. 2 Timothy 1.7, not in a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. And we're going to do that together. All right. All right. With that said, let's hop into our passage for today, into our sermon for today. You got your Bible. Why don't you head on over to Colossians chapter one. Today, we are going to talk about Jesus. Now, listen, we talk about Jesus every week here, but today the passage in the Bible that, that we're in, it's just one of those mountaintops in the Bible. The Apostle Paul, what's happening is he's trying to help this young church kind of navigate their way through a lot of different um, external options, a lot of different faiths that are out there. And there's some confusion inside the church about uh, what we should believe. There's some other gods that have kind of made their way into the church or some question about a bunch of other things, like should we worship angels or not, and some other things. And you know what? The Apostle Paul's answer to all of it is to give a majestic explanation of who Jesus is. And he does it kind of in full force in our verses for today. And I think this is awesome for a couple of reasons for, uh, you know, whether maybe you're new to Christianity. And if you're new to Christianity, this is one of those times where the Christian message just becomes so accessible to someone trying to figure out what Christianity and Jesus are all about. So if you're to try, if you're there trying to decide where you stand with the Christian faith, this is a great message for you because listen, so often people get hung up on secondary issues and don't deal with the main thing Christianity is all about. That's Jesus. Like, look, we can talk about things like gender and justice uh, because they do matter and we can't separate them from our faith. But what we believe about those secondary things stems from what we believe about Jesus, who's the main thing. All right. So there are a lot of, especially in those secondary issues, often a lot of distracting noise. There's often a lot of agendas uh, that are trying to manipulate Jesus to say whatever an agenda wants him to say. So what I tell people is, look, just deal with Jesus first, because if you don't believe who he says he is, well, none of the rest of what Christianity has to say really matters anyways. So why bother with the secondary stuff? Why waste your energy there? It'd be kind of like, I don't know, you're going shopping for a home and you spend all of your time like looking at the size of the second bathroom when you're not even sure if you want to live in that state. Like, like let's start with the big question first, all right? So that's if you're newer. I think this is a great thing for you if you're newer to the Christian message. But listen, it's also a great passage, and I hope this is a great message for those of us that have been around Christianity for a while because it's so easy for us to forget the main thing that our life is supposed to be about. Here's why you need this, because the way forward in your life, and this whole series is about moving forward, is for the object of your faith to get bigger in your eyes and in your heart. Usually I've found that Christians who see small changes in their lives usually have a small Jesus inspiring them. You need a bigger, way bigger vision of Jesus, which is actually also going to be a more accurate vision of Jesus. Change doesn't start with behaving differently. It always starts with seeing differently. And so today, y'all, today is all about us seeing Jesus. So that's what we're going to do. We're just going to look at him. All right, for six verses, verses 15 through 20, Paul's just going to tell us who Jesus is. And we're just going to soak that in, drink that in. Today is going to be just hopefully just worshiping who Jesus is. And then for three verses, he's going to tell you who you are. All right, so this sermon is not really a whole lot about you. In fact, it's only going to be like the last five minutes that 
you get really brought up in terms of where the text talks about you. It's all about Jesus. And what we're going to see, it's actually a really good thing, a really good thing that this is about Jesus and not about you. Uh, And I think you're going to see that. I think you'll see that it'll be for your good that we spend our time on Jesus and not on you, all right, as we go through this. So let's go. Let's get in there. Um, Verse 15. Verse 15. Who is Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God. Paul starts with what Christians would say is an absolute essential of our faith. By the way, there's like 14 things Paul's going to say about who Jesus is. I'm going to try and group them a little bit here, but I hope we just kind of get overwhelmed in worship, okay? Um, He's the visible image of the invisible God. Um, John, in his gospel, explains it in the opening. He says, listen, no one has ever seen God. This is John 1.18. No one's ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at at the Father's side. He has revealed him. The simple way to say this very central tenet of the Christian faith is that if you want to see God, look at Jesus because Jesus is God. That's who he is. Who is Jesus? If you're taking notes, you just need to, who is Jesus? And we're just going to list them out as the apostle Paul lists them out. Jesus is God. He is the image of God. He isn't in the image of God. He is the image of God. He is the visible manifestation of God, the father, which is y'all here's why this is so great. We don't have to guess what God is like. We just look at Jesus. We get to see Jesus, study him, look at him, and you'll learn about who God is, about God's character. You'll see the character of God. You get to know Jesus and you get to know God. He is all powerful and he demonstrates it time and time again in the gospels, calming the storm, multiplying food, raising the dead. He's powerful, but he's gracious and compassionate. And he goes time and time again to show kindness and dignity to those that the rest of society rejects. He is so loving that he goes up on the cross to his death on behalf of his friends. But here's the catch. He makes it abundantly clear throughout his public ministry that he's claiming to be God. So is he. You know, C.S. Lewis famously in his book, Mere Christianity, is going to say, listen, he's either a liar, like he's knowingly deceiving others. He's a lunatic, which means he's not right and he just doesn't even realize it. He's just crazy. Or he is who he says he is and he's Lord. And so the foundational question for you to answer when it comes to Jesus is, is he God? Is that who he is? Because if he is, then all those things you see about him Man, they're true about the God who upholds the universe. God cares about you. God cares about justice and dignity for all people. God cares about righteousness. God cares about grace and peace and gentleness. God cares about grief and grieves with others when they grieve. God is powerful enough even to defeat death itself and give us hope in the face of it. If Jesus is God then this is great news because it means the character of Jesus is the character of the one that governs the universe if he's God. That's the first question for you and that's the central thing Paul is trying to get across to this young church and to you and I. He is God. He says he's the image of the invisible God and the next thing he says there in verse 15, he's the firstborn over all creation. 
Now, I want you to go with me here for a second to understand how significant this is. We're going we're gonna to dive a little bit, actually more just like peek. We're going to do a full dive. Just a little peek into church history to see why this matters so much and what comes out is this worshipful moment. This firstborn here is a place of honor and authority. There was a fourth century church leader, a pastor, a guy named Arius, who said, well, this verse must mean that Jesus was actually created by God. Therefore, he's not an eternal being. He can't be God because he is created. Well, the church kind of came, came against Arius and said, no, the word firstborn in scripture, it looked at the Old Testament and said, it's got much more meaning than that. It's much richer than that. You look at Exodus 4, God calls Israel his firstborn saying, thus says the Lord, Israel's my firstborn son. He called David his firstborn son in Psalm 89. I'm gonna make him my firstborn. He's gonna be the exalted king of the earth. And there, of course, had been people before Israel, before David. So what's happening? God is using this word firstborn as a position of honor and authority. And we can tell because he puts the word over, firstborn over all creation right beside it. And what starts to become clear is that Jesus isn't just the older brother. He is the supreme authority over creation. He isn't created by God. He is God who rules over creation. So this council of pastors gets together in this place called Nicaea. They condemned Arius' teaching, and an African pastor named Athanasius wrote the following words. And if you grew up in a, um, maybe in a Catholic tradition or a little bit more of a liturgical space, maybe you've heard these before. It says, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God. Light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. That's who he is. He's God. He's God. He's always been God and over creation. Now, this tells us his role. Who is Jesus? He is the king presiding over all. He is God actively ruling and reigning over his creation, which if it's true, again, is so good for us because of who we know him to be throughout the gospels. What a good king that we have presiding over us. And then Paul goes even further. You know, they, some church historians will say this um, particular passage we're looking at is almost uh, written as a hymn, as an early song that the the church would sing. And, and if you think of it that way, the next lyric that we go into in verse 16, man, talks more about this role in creation. Watch this. For everything was created by him. In, him, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Everything, all the things were created by him. Things in heaven and on earth, all things. Listen, that rulers and authorities comment, that's a bold statement because thrones and dominions might be talking about earthly nations here on earth, but rulers and authorities, he's talking about the invisible evil authorities that wage war against God and his purposes. And Paul is saying he even created them. He created hell itself and Satan, the fallen angel who rules over it. Every square inch of the cosmos was created by him. It was through his power 
Before there was anything, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John says in the opening of his gospel, John 1, 3, all things were, things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that had been created. <laughs> Who is Jesus? He is the creator of the universe. He's the creator of all things. And I want you to just zero in on how verse 16 ends. Next thing we see about Jesus All things have been created for him. This might be the thing that that got me the most this week. He is the creator of all things, and he is the source from which all things get their purpose. The reason for their existence. The reason heaven and earth exist is for Jesus. That's why Paul says in his letter, one day, that letter to the Philippians, one day, every knee is going to bow in heaven and on earth. All. We're going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The marginalized in society and the social elites, the blue collar mill worker and the investment banker, whether you drive a motorcycle or a minivan, right? The internet divas and the internet trolls, the political rulers of this world, the angels in heaven and the devil himself are all going to bow down and they're all going to declare one name. And that is that Jesus Christ is Lord over all. It all exists for him. And here's why this matters. Here's why this matters today for you. It means now you know your purpose too. You are created for Jesus. That's what you're here for. Who is Jesus? He's the purpose behind everything. Can we just pause and acknowledge right now that Jesus is starting to get a little invasive into your life in this passage? Now he's claiming to be your purpose. He's saying you exist not for yourself. You exist for him. But think about it for a second. What are are your other options? You're going to exist for yourself? So you try to build your own kingdom through career and social advancement? Have you ever known that quest to lead to a content life? Instead, it usually leads to a life of stress management that slowly erodes your soul. You end up hitting a midlife crisis not knowing who you are because what you've been living for, living for you, it just didn't work. Living for you is going to create over and over a cycle of temporary pleasure and long-term pain and emptiness. And so you can say, okay, well, I won't live for myself. Yeah, that, that seems selfish, So I know what I'll do. I'll live for others, maybe my family. I'll pour myself out for their happiness. I've heard, I don't know how many parents, man, it's just all about my kids, man. I'm just living, you know, I just want good for my kids. Well, what happens when you work so hard for them and then they let you down? And they will, by the way, because they were never meant to be your purpose in life. They're just people for crying out loud. They can't carry the weight of your soul. So what happens when they disappoint you? You'll either withdraw yourself and be quietly depressed or be enraged and maybe bounce back and forth between the two. Making others your purpose isn't gonna work. So you say, well, okay, then I'll live for a cause. Just something great, altogether greater than me. Maybe a good cause. But what happens when even if you get great advancement in your cause and then that cause hits a roadblock that you just can't get through? Maybe it's political, maybe financial. Maybe you just get tired A cause is going to drive you, but to where? Again, career, family, justice. 
These are all good things, but they're just not sturdy enough for your soul. The Christian message, though, says there is one who can be your purpose. And when he is your purpose, you will actually thrive because he's strong enough to carry that weight. The way Blaise Pascal said it centuries ago was that every single one of us have a God-shaped hole in our heart and we try to fill it with all kinds of things. But the only one that can truly satisfy it, that can fill it is, of course, God. You were made for Jesus. And when you live for him, your life will discover the significance that you've been longing for. And at the same time, the peace and satisfaction that you were meant for and that you're missing. Now, listen, I want to try to pick up the pace in these next couple of verses. I'm not promising a whole lot. It's so good. There's so much here for us. I don't want you to miss any of it. Verse 17, he, the same Jesus, was before all things. He is before all things. And by him, all things hold together. It's not that he was before all things. He is this is another statement about his godness. He is outside of time and gives time its meaning. He and the Father together, along with the Spirit, existed before time in perfect union together. And let's zoom in. I want to again be, be thankful for the second half of the verse. By him, all things are holding together. Oh, listen, I was trying to, like, I can go so many different ways with this. Like you really just got to explore this and study this on your own because you could go the actual like scientific route here. We could talk about laminin and how incredible it is that Jesus physically holds the world together. It's amazing that he does. But can we talk for a second about how good it is that he holds you together, that he holds your life together? If he can hold the planets together, surely, surely he can hold the stuff together in your life. And I feel like many of us are... We've just been trying to hold it together lately. And what I want to say to you and what I needed to say to myself this week is, that's not your job. It's not your job to hold it together. That's Jesus's job. Your job is to just give it all to him and trust him with your steps as you walk forward. I'm talking to the single person living alone right now. It would not be surprising if you are battling a fierce amount of loneliness and you feel like I'm just trying to hold it together, just go to him and tell him that. Cry out to him. Say, Jesus, I need you to do this because I can't. I can't hold it together. And then you just you just try and stand up. Maybe you just got to stay seated. You just try to do the next thing the whole time telling him, Jesus, I need to do this in your strength. You supply the strength. You're the one holding this together. I'm talking to the roommates who are ready to unleash bowls of wrath on one another, because y'all been around each other quite a bit, right? I'm talking to single roommates, and I'm talking to married couples there, I think, because you're, you're all out of forgiveness and patience, and you are now ready to say what that person's been needing to hear, and you've been holding it back, but now's the time, you know what? I need to tell them about that, because I'm just, I can't hold it together anymore, right? I'm talking to parents who think if it rains another day, and my kids are stuck in this house another day, I'm gonna lose it, right? Y'all, my 10-year-old son, all right, he comes, we're at the dinner table, and he says, Dad, this is a 10-year-old boy. I miss walking around Target. <laughs> Y'all, if a 10-year-old boy misses walking around Target, it's getting bad, right? It has gotten bad. Man, I'm talking to many of you, um, talking to many of you who are dealing with some really, some, some just heavy stuff like, like grief, 
Maybe you've lost someone during this season and grieving isn't something that you're supposed to do at a distance from other people. I'm talking to you that you're consumed by anxiety right now. I'm talking to those of you who are in charge, right? In charge of a company, in charge of a group of people, and maybe just in charge of a family. And you feel like everybody's looking at you. You're not God. You do not have to hold all things together. That's his job. Let Jesus do that. Take a deep breath. I mean, just if if we were all in the room together, I'd be like, all right, everybody stop. Let's take a deep breath. And let's thank God you don't have to hold it all together. That's his job. You take the weight of that, you place it at the feet of Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, I'm walking with you. You take that. Who is Jesus? He's the one holding everything together. Man, what good news. What good news. You don't have to hold it all together. That's his job. You rest in him. What a relief. What a God. What a savior. Let's keep going. Verse 18. He is also the head of the body, the church. Man, check this one out. This is great news for me. As a pastor, I'm not the head of the church, right? I'm one of the leaders of the church, but the church is a body and a body only has one head. You know how freeing that is for me? It means I don't have to be perfect in order to be your pastor, Listen, yes, pastors are held to a higher standard. The Bible tells us that. And as your pastor, I got to give an account to God for how I shepherd you. Yes, that sobers me, but it also, this passage releases me because my job is to submit to Jesus, the one who is in charge. And then help us just kind of follow him together. But he's in charge and we're a body, which means all of us have a role to play. That's what the church is. This local body of believers, bunch of body parts, right? Getting direction, from the head, playing, playing different roles as we follow the head of the church, the king of the universe, Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the head of the church. The church is about one name and submits itself to the leadership of Jesus by obeying the words of Jesus that we find in scripture. So we are all about somebody here at Mercy that somebody is Jesus. It's Jesus. Now, man, watch what Paul says next about this Jesus this is, this is lighting me up today. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Y'all, we got to like, if you have a highlighter, just highlight, highlight all of it, all right? So that he might come to have the first place in everything. He is the beginning, but this is a different beginning this time than he's talking. It's not the beginning of creation. He specifies the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Every word here should lift your heart in worship. The gospel says Jesus died for our sins, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. Listen to Paul's language. The dead do not give birth. The grave does not give birth. But then you look at what he says. The grave is supposed to be something that closes in over you and keeps you, right? Until Jesus, until Jesus comes along and he reverses the curse of death because he went into the grave and then charged back out of the grave never to return again. And he is the firstborn, not the only one to come from the dead. No, he is our general charging first out of the grave and bringing every single one of his followers with him. (sighs) Who is Jesus? He is the resurrected king overall. He's defeated death. And those who are in Christ, we get to share in his resurrection right here and now. 
we really do have new life. The old life that we have, it's not rebuilt and better. Mm-mm. It's gone. It's gone. We're new creations, given new life. And Christian, I just want you to receive that right now. You've got new life. You've got new life. Maybe that has become too familiar for you. But this is everything for us. That Jesus has defeated death and that he's bringing us with him. That's supposed to lead to our worship, even in our darkest places. Think of 1 Thessalonians 4. That's supposed to lead us to worship that we grieve when someone passes away. We grieve, but we don't grieve as those with no hope. We grieve as those with hope. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. And then Paul goes on to say there, he says, and one day the rest of the dead in Christ will rise and we will meet them in the air. Like it's the resurrection of Jesus is our whole hope. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Paul's circling back. You know, this is to the idea that he, he started in verse 15. We saw that with him using firstborn again, but this time he acknowledges how good it was for the father to have his fullness dwell in the son. This is a beautiful mystery that we're being invited to just look into here a little bit. God the Father and God the Son, one substance, different persons. There's no battle for the throne going on. There's unity and fellowship and joy. So rich. It's so beautiful. The church has just struggled for 2,000 years to try and put human language on something with finite minds. We can't grasp something like this but the father's pleased with the son. Now I want you to get ready for verse 20. (laughs) Through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross, God was pleased to reconcile everything to himself through Jesus. And he gets specific how? There was a conflict that needed settling. Creation was not in right relationship with its creator. It wasn't in the fellowship with God that it was designed for. And so God sent Jesus to reconcile those things that had been alienated from him through his blood shed on the cross. Who is Jesus? He is our reconciling Savior. I'm going to show you why this matters. Paul shows us why this matters. I don't have to use my words to tell you because this whole time we've been talking about who is Jesus. And now, now that he set this up with, if you were to go back and count, you're going to see 14 different things that he said about who is Jesus. And now that your eyes are fixed and worshiping Jesus, now Paul says, okay, who are you? Who are you? In light of all that you see about Jesus, who are you? Verse 21. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. But now, he, not you, you didn't do the work. He has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard, this gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. This is the hope of the gospel. 
Jesus, who does not need you, doesn't need me, he reigns supreme. And you and I rejected that supremacy. We don't deserve anything from him other than justice for our rebellion. We were hostile towards God and the actions that we have done only serve to verify that yes, deep down we were hostile towards God. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need you, but he wants you. He wants you. What love. And so he has made a way for you and I to be reconciled to a God that we rejected and don't deserve to be with. Our sin-filled record is washed clean. And he says we become faultless. Look at those words. Faultless and blameless before God. If you just remain grounded and steadfast in the hope of the gospel. Just cling to it. Not of anything of your own power. It's in Christ's strength. He's going to say it two or three verses later. We're going to look at it next week. You, you cling to it in his strength. Remain there. The Colossian church is being threatened by false teaching and the answer was just, just look at Jesus. Just see him rightly for who he is. That's God's call to you today. Look at Jesus. Don't look at yourself. Don't look at your faults and your weaknesses first. Don't look at your inability first. Don't look at your circumstances first. Look at Jesus Fix your eyes there. Fix your heart there. That is the, you know, the fascinating thing to me. Um, we, we call the series Moving Forward and it is the right thing to talk about in terms of where we are right now and in terms of the passage and what Paul is trying to do. But time and time again, you know what we keep doing? We keep saying in order to move forward, you got to look back. You got to just stop and look at who Jesus is and your vision, your spiritual vision, the eyes of your heart need to be consumed by the greatness of your Savior. Look at Jesus. In fact, uh, you know, I've been telling you we're going to have soul work, uh, different kinds of soul work each week this week. I think this one, we're going to go a little different direction. I'm not going to make you make a list if you've been with us the past couple weeks. Uh, This one, I want you to try something, okay? I want you to try to memorize as much of verses 15 through 20 that you can over the course of this week. All right, maybe that's one verse. Maybe that's the whole thing. Get with your community group. When y'all, when y'all get together, D group, community group, whatever you're going to be in, you get together and you just kind of rehearse it with one another, all right? And the purpose is so that each day as you're walking through your day and you need Jesus, man, I want you to recall who he really is. I want you to see, I, w- I want the eyes of our hearts to just expand and see more of who he really is. That's our soul work. Memorize Colossians uh, 15, 1, 15 through 20. Meditate on it. In the morning, see Jesus. During the hard moments, look to Jesus. In the quiet, calm, normative moments, look at Jesus. At dinner time, man, look at Jesus. When you're going to bed as you lay down, see Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus this week. Because in, in there, if you'll just go there, Jesus said, if you'll abide in him, make your home there, John 15, 9, then you will bear much fruit. That change that you're looking for, that victory over whatever that sin that's been dominating you, it's it's by looking at him. It's by abiding, making your home in him. Don't shortchange that because you want to just go try and fix the problem. The answer, look at Jesus. That's why the apostle Paul spends so much time talking about Jesus. Because he is the answer. 
He is the answer. I want to take a second. I just want to pray over you before we continue on in worship. And I want to give you a chance just to fix your eye, the eyes of your heart on Jesus. And so I want you to bow your head and close your eyes so that you can let your heart see Jesus rightly. Will you pray with me? I want you to hear as we begin to pray just the words of this passage. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God, help us to see Jesus rightly. Expand our vision of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus. We praise you. We praise you in his holy name. Amen.